He loves Jesus. He loves campers. He loves God's word. And so give it up for Monty Montana. All right. All right. Well, good evening, Harlan. Everybody say thanks, Brian. Hey, I want to get a special shout out in the back. You see in the back the sound booth. That's Jared. Everybody say, hey, Jared. Okay. His nickname for the rest of the week is DJ Jared. You follow? You track it. So everybody say, what up, DJ Jared? Everybody saying, thanks, DJ Jaren. Oh, very cool, guys. Well, hey, as Brown said, my name is Monty Montana. I hail from the city of Bakersfield, California. Yeah, that's right. Now, th now there are a lot of people. Okay, that's enough, Bakersfieldians. Okay. There's a lot of people in this room. And there's, I don't know, what is this? A tent? There's a lot of people in this tent from Bakersfield. And so if you are not from Bakersfield and you're thinking, man, there's a lot of Bakersfieldians, do not be afraid. Okay? Because all of us combined, we got about six brain cells. Okay? So we are we are no no threat to you. Uh, I am super, super, super excited, guys, to be able to preach God's word here this week at Heartland. Uh, I love summer camps, but I also love preaching the inerrant and the inspired word of the Lord. But I also like having fun uh, while doing it. Now, in just a moment, we're going to get into God's word. But before we do, just a little bit about myself. I am related to Hannah Montana. I married a girl named Hannah, and so she took the name. I waited my whole life to find a girl named Hannah that I liked, and I was like, this is sweet. I'm going to marry her. Uh, so you'll see her running around this week, I'm sure. Uh, I got a bunch of kids, right? So I, and I have a bunch, and we're going to stop because it's, I need to find a hobby, okay? That's that's essentially what's what's going down. Uh, our three-year-old, her name is Karis, uh, which is the Greek word for grace. Then we have two twins. Uh, we have Cyrus, the great king who freed the Jews. Then we have Shiloh, which is a place of worship in the Old Testament. And then we got a fourth baby on the way whose name is Jubilee, which is the year of Jubilee in the Old Testament to year of freedom. Uh, today at church, I taught an old person class. And I, I probably shouldn't call it an old person class, but I don't know what else to call it. I taught a bunch of old people and this old woman walked up to me and she says, Monty, I, I, I remember the little guy, the little guy you were. And, and sure enough, her name is Patty Watts. And she had watched me grow up in the church. I had been in this. I've been in the same church my entire life. My family went to Valley Baptist when I was five months old and we've been here the entire time. But check this out. So Patty, okay, that's fine. God bless you. But Patty, she's known me since I was just a tiny little Oompa Loompa looking fool. And so she walks up to me. She walks up to me. She says, Monty, I remember when you were just a tiny Oompa Loompa fool. Uh, how did this happen? She goes, how the heck do you have four kids? And I looked at her. I was like, Miss Patty, do you want me to explain to you how it happened? She goes, no. And I was like, okay, sorry. Church, can't do that here. A man. A couple of things about me. So I'm married. I got a bunch of kids. I did not always want to be a pastor. Now, I've worked at the same church for 10 years. I wasn't always a pastor. Uh, I actually started as a janitor. So give it up for janitors. So the janitor there, just give it up for janitors. I was a janitor, then I was an intern, then I was a pastor. But I didn't always want to be a pastor. When I was a child, I really only had two career goals in mind. I either wanted to be a stand-up comedian or, or I wanted to be a professional opera singer. Obviously, neither one of those happened, so now I'm a pastor. Okay, that's it. Here's the thing you need to know, friends. The most important thing you need to know about Monty Montana is this. The most important thing about Monty Montana you need to know is that I love the state of California. I love the Golden State. You know, I'm 27 years old, and in my 27 years of life, by God's grace, I've been able to visit some pretty amazing places in our world. I've been to the Middle East. I've been to Europe. I've been to South and Central America. I've been to Canada. I've been all over our great country. And every place I go, there is only one place I want to return to. 
and that is the Golden State. Friends, I believe that California has the best beaches. We have the best forests. We have the prettiest deserts. We have the best Christian summer camps. Amen. That's right. Shameless plug. California is an amazing place to live. But let me ask you this question, and this should be super easy to answer. Does California have its issues? <laughs> yeah. Right now, we could probably stand up here all night and list different issues that our great state has, but, but I'll, I'll, I'll hit a couple of them. We have really sucky air quality, right? We have some, and we're not going to get political this week, but there are politicians that always look out for us, right? In our state, crime and homelessness and, and drug abuse is on the rise, and it seems like it's never going to come down. Friends, California is an incredibly dark but great place. And honestly, friends, especially if you're in the public school system, I think you've probably found this, that being a Christian in California can kind of be exhausting. Being a Christian in California can kind of begin to wear on you both spiritually and sometimes even physically. And so, friends, my goal this week is super simple. I have, I have one goal, really two goals, but I'm going to combine them into one. My goal this week is simple. I want to encourage you and I want to equip you. I want to encourage you and equip you to reach our great state for Christ because our state needs it. Friends, I, I, I was talking to a pastor on the phone this last week. It was Pastor Larry Wood. He was a mentor of mine, which if you know Pastor Larry, it's an awful mentor. Okay, the dude's like the most down-home country preacher I've ever met in my life. The very first sermon I ever heard Pastor Larry preach, this was his first point. He says, Monty, oh, he said this to the congregation. He says, the God of the Bible kills people and he might just kill you too. And I'm sitting there like eight years old, like, what the heck? I'm, did that dude just threaten to murder me? I mean, I was like, I, I can't outrun Larry. We're both two chubby guys. I don't think it's going to work. Friends, our state needs Bible-believing, God-fearing Christians. And so my goal this week is to help you better prepare for war. And you might be thinking, Monty, well, what do, you, what do you mean better prepare for war? Well, this is what I mean. The Bible is very clear that you and I are at war as believers. But we're at a different type of war. Listen to this. This is the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. He says, our battle, in Greek, it's literally our war, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of darkness, against evil, against spiritual forces in the heavenly realm. Friends, in this one verse, the Apostle Paul breaks it down for us that being a Christian was never meant to be easy. In fact, oftentimes when we uh, face persecution in this life, we act surprised. But do you remember what Jesus said? When Jesus sent his disciples in the world, he says, I'm sending you out as sheep amongst what? He says, I'm sending you out as sheep amongst wolves. He didn't say, I'm sending you out as sheep amongst chihuahuas. He didn't say, I'm sending you out as sheep amongst corgis or sheep amongst sheep. He said, I am sending you out as sheep amongst wolves. Friends, from the very inception of our faith, it was promised that this would be difficult. Now, here's what I found. I've been a Christian for... 13 years of my life. And for the past 13 years, I, I figured out that even the most devout and steadfast and obedient followers of Jesus, when they see how dark and decrepit our world has become, sometimes they may doubt God and sometimes they may grow discouraged. Friends, I'll be honest with you, in my own Christian life, when I look around and see how rancid our culture has become, there are some days that I just want to throw in the towel on this whole Jesus thing. 
There's some days where I walk around the streets of my city and I see people addicted to fentanyl and meth and I think, well, maybe this gospel thing just isn't working. But friends, do you want to know what has kept me going these past 13 years as a follower of Jesus? What has kept me going is the saints of old. The men and the women of faith who came before us, their stories have been a blessing in my life. And so my hope this week is very simple. Each time we meet together, every morning, every evening, we're going to look at a different character of Scripture from Hebrews chapter 11. Now, Hebrews chapter 11 is commonly referred to as the Hall of Faith. And in that one passage of Scripture, we are essentially given a list of great spiritual heroes. And so every day together, we're going to look at a different hero. And the hope is that their story, their faith, their testimony would be an encouragement to us as we seek out to live our life as followers of Jesus in this dark world. That sound good? Okay, check this out. Hebrews 11, if you got your Bibles, turn there. Hebrews chapter 11, New Testament, right before the book of James. Hebrews chapter 11, I think we have it on the screen. Look at that. Starting in verse 7. The author of Hebrews says this. He says, by faith, Noah... After he was warned about what was not yet seen and motivated by godly fear, he built an ark to deliver his family. By faith, he condemned the world and he became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Right at the beginning of that verse, by faith, Noah. Friends, when we think about what it's like and how we should live out our faith in a dark world, there perhaps is no better character in Scripture to look at than Noah himself. Now, I'm well aware of the fact that if you grew up in church, you are probably well aware of the story of Noah and his ark. But chances are, even if you are not a Christian, even if you didn't grow up going to church, even if you didn't grow up in a Christian home, the story of Noah is probably something that everybody under this big old parachute is somewhat familiar with. The story of Noah is an old story, but man, it's a story that has so much application for you and I today. Because as King Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, said, he said, there's nothing new under the sun. Friends, you look at Noah's world and not much has changed between Noah's day and now. Listen to how Noah's world was described. This is Genesis chapter 6, verses 11 through 12. It says, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with wickedness. And God saw how corrupt the earth was, for every creature had corrupted its way on the earth. So right in these two verses, we learn two things about Noah's world. In, in verse 11, we're told that the earth was filled with wickedness. Now, fun fact, the word there for wickedness in Hebrew, everybody say in Hebrew, in Hebrew, the word there for wickedness in Hebrew is a word you've probably all heard before. It's the Hebrew word Hamas. Anybody ever heard of Hamas before? Hamas is a terror organization in the Middle East. The word Hamas literally means violent. And so right out of the gate, when Moses is describing the earth in the days of Noah, he says the earth was full of violent people. The earth was full of wicked people. I heard one pastor say this. He says the earth was filled with terrorists. And then we go down to verse 12, and we learn something else about Noah's world. Verse 12 says that the earth, the world, the creatures in it had corrupted their way. 
Now, the word corrupted literally means to ruin. And it reminds me when I was in high school. Now, I went to high school in the ancient year of like 2008. Okay, a long time ago. You guys were, yeah, I know, I'm an old man. Okay, I went to high school in like the ancient year of 2008. And back when I was in high school, there was no such thing as online portals to turn in your assignments. Right? Back in my day, if you wanted to turn a paper in, you had to do this archaic thing called printing it out. I know, it was hard times. It was hard times. I remember my sophomore year, I always loved history class, and so I was in the history class and I was writing a history paper. I don't remember what the history paper was on, but it was a pretty big paper. I had spent weeks writing this paper. Weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, and I was sweating, I was probably crying because I was an emotional child. I was writing this paper and, and I got done, but my family, they didn't have a printer. And so the day the assignment was due, I had to load the assignment onto a flash drive, walk to Stockdale High School and print it out for like 25 cents a sheet. And I remember that particular day when my paper was due, my mom, she woke me up a little bit late because I was a child and my mother woke me up. My mom woke me up a little bit late and so I was, I was franicking and I was trying to get ready. And so I ran over to the computer and I took out my 128 megabyte SanDisk flash drive. It was sweet. It looked like a turtle. You know, I was one of those weird kids. And I just shoved it in the computer and I began to transfer the file over. And then my mom, my mom who I love and who loves the Lord, but who's also kind of naggy. She comes over my shoulder. She says, Monty, you need to get to school. And so what do you think I did? I was petrified of my mom, so I ran over to the computer, I ripped the flash drive out, and I ran across the street to Stockdale High School. And I'll never forget, I went in that school library, all proud, and like, man, this is the best paper I've ever written in my life. I'm like the history version of Shakespeare. This is going to be legit. This paper is going to give me all the chicks, because I was chubby. That was the only chance I had. And so I took that little turtle flash drive, 128 megabytes. I plugged it into that school computer, which was running a version of Windows 95. And I opened it up. I saw it, and there was history paper. And I double-clicked it to open. And friends, the message I was greeting with broke my heart. Because the computer said, cannot open file. File corrupted. You see, what I had done in my haste is I had grabbed the flash drive out of my computer without, a, without ejecting it, and now I had lost all that data. I had corrupted it. I had ruined it. Friends, in verse 12, when it says that in Moses' day, the earth was corrupted, it's meaning that the earth was ruined. People were ruining themselves, and the way they were ruining themselves was by living in open and unrepentant and unremorseful sin. We know some of the sins that people in Noah's day committed. You rewind a little bit in Genesis chapter 6, and you learn that in Noah's day, people were engaging in like nasty and promiscuous sexual conduct. We know that people in Noah's day, were, they were violent. They were vengeful. Friends, people in Noah's day, they only cared about themselves, and they only wished to do whatever the heck they wanted, and God hated it. But let me ask you this. Does that sound at all a bit familiar? Of course it does. I mean, friends, we've all seen it. You and I live in a world today where people literally get to do whatever they want. Right? There seems to be no more rules. Right? They don't have any get-tos like we have here at Heartland. Right? They're, they're, people are just going to be whatever they are. I was talking to a pastor friend uh, just two weeks ago. He, he came to visit town, and, and he was talking about at the church, the, the church he's serving at, he's a senior pastor, the, the high school closest to his church. There were about a dozen female students, a dozen of them, who had begun to use the male restroom. Now, of course, the reason those female students can use the male restroom is because they now identified as male. 
And then that pastor, he's sitting there, he's telling me about this high school, and he says, Monty, you ain't seen nothing yet because the high school, uh, just a mile further down the road, has begun to put litter boxes in their restrooms for his children who identify as felines. <laughs> Friends, here's the world. Here's the world. Shh, 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 shh. I know. If there's any cats in the room, I'm, I'm sorry, I love you. Jesus loves you too. Don't be a cat. Friends, this is the type of state you and I live in. You and I live in a state where basic truths like human biology are being denied. We live in a state today where if a child so chooses, they can transition their gender, and oftentimes they're pushing for legislation so they can do that without the parents' permission. You and I live in a state today where it is no longer viewed, I mean, it should be, but where people who maybe are attracted to children are no longer called pedophiles, are called minor attracted people. Friends, 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 friends. You and I live in an incredibly, incredibly, incredibly dark place. And when we begin to realize how dark our world around us has become, as followers of Jesus, we have two options. We can either run. We can run. Or we can preach. We can run. Or we can stay. You know, I think of, of Noah. Oftentimes I thought, okay, what, what did Noah do when he was building the ark? We know that it took Noah anywhere between 100 and 150 years to construct that massive boat. And friends, we know that when Noah was building the ark, Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Do you know what Noah did when the world around him got so crummy, when it got so crappy that God wanted to wipe humanity off the face of the map? Friends, what Noah did is he began to preach. He began to tell people to turn. He began to warn people. He began to invite people on board. Friends, our job as followers of Jesus is not to run away from the darkness. Our job as followers of Jesus is to be a light in the dark world. Our job as followers of Jesus is to get involved in the spiritual war that is all around us. But here's the thing. I cannot tell you how many conversations I've had in the past year of God-loving, God-fearing people, Christians in the state of California who are leaving our state because it's too spiritually dark. Friends, we live in what is arguably the greatest mission field in the world. Why would we ever leave? You know, I remember when I was in college, I was down, I went to college in Riverside and I was down in Anaheim. They have like these really cool, like, I don't know, they're, they're like these places where, where food, it's like Anaheim, Anaheim Packing House, was an Anaheim Packing House. And I'll never forget, I'm sitting down to eat and, and this Korean couple, they walk up to me and they begin to evangelize. And I'm sitting there, when people try to share the gospel with me, I always like to take on a different religion. And so that day, I don't know, I was like a monk or something. I was like, okay, we can do this. But then we're talking, and then I'm just having just a little bit of discussion with them. And I find out that they're not California natives, but they're actually missionaries sent to California from South Korea. They learned English to come and minister and reach people here. Friends, when I met those people, I thought, why the heck are we trying to get out of Dodge? As far as of Jesus, we're not supposed to run. We're supposed to fight. You know, I became a Christian when I was 16 years old. I had grown up in a Christian home. Um, when I was a, a young man, I thought I'd made a profession of faith, but it was really just lip service to God. I didn't mean it. 
When I got into high school, I became incredibly rebellious against my family, against my parents. I essentially forsook every Christian moral that, I, that I'd ever been taught. But I was 16, about to turn 17 years old. God, by his grace, got a hold of me, and he changed me from the inside out. And right after I became a Christian, I was looking for, for books to read, and so I did what any high school student does. I went on this little website called Google. And I literally began to, I just Googled, Christians, what books do Christians read? Number one answer, the Bible. And I was like, okay, I got one of those. A couple links down, I was on a couple different pages, and, and somebody recommended a book by a guy named Eric McTexas, just called Bonhoeffer. And I remember reading that book. I was 16 years old, and I'm sitting in my room, and I'm reading this book about this German pastor. He was born in 1906. He was born in 1906 in Germany. Dietrich was born to uh, an incredibly successful family. His father was arguably the top uh, neurosurgeon in Germany, if not in all of Europe. He was an unbeliever, but he was kind of curious about the faith. And then his mother, his mother never necessarily had a career, but she came from a long line of, uh, of prominent Protestant pastors and theologians. And so it really was to nobody's surprise that Dietrich Bonhoeffer was incredibly intelligent, but it was also no one's surprise that he sought a career in gospel ministry. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he actually graduated college in his late teens in Germany. He graduated from one of the top universities. He would then go on to pastor some of the biggest churches in his area. He would go around and he began to teach and preach at, at giant Bible colleges, but even secular university. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was without a doubt one of the most prominent thinkers of the early 20th century. But then in the 1930s, this little almost seemingly unknown political figure began to rise to power in Germany. It was a guy named Adolf Hitler. Now, when Adolf Hitler rose to power and when Dietrich Bonhoeffer realized what he was all about, Bonhoeffer began to openly oppose Hitler. What Bonhoeffer would do, this, this, this Christian pastor, he would get on public radio and using the scriptures as a justification, he would condemn Hitler's leadership, he would condemn Hitler's actions. We know that Adolf Hitler and the Nazi regime, they essentially, they edited our Christian Bible and they would give these to Christian pastors and say, well, you can preach this, but you cannot preach that. We know that if you were a pastor in Germany of Jewish descent, that you lost your job. We know that Hitler would shut down churches. He would shut down Bible colleges. And Bonhoeffer's response was, you know what? I think I'm going to start more churches. You know what? I think I'm going to start some more Bible colleges. I think I'm going to train up more men to fear the Lord and reach our nation. Now, I think all of us would agree that Germany at the time was incredibly dark. And yet Bonhoeffer stayed. Bonhoeffer stayed. He fought. He spoke against Hitler. He spoke against the wickedness of the world around him. But then he did something that was quite interesting and kind of went against his character. He fled. Bonhoeffer, by his own admission, this great German pastor and thinker and theologian, he fled. He literally ran away. And where do you think he ran to? Well, he ran to the great U.S. of A. He came here. Friends, for months, Dietrich Bonhoeffer lived here. He was offered political assignments, even believed that the same boat that brought over Albert Einstein was the boat that brought over Bonhoeffer. This is how prominent of a thinker he was. Friends, when he, when he was in the States, people were so excited that Bonhoeffer was here because he was such a gifted preacher. And so sure enough, when Bonhoeffer got to the United States, people offered him jobs. They wanted him to come and preach at their churches. They wanted him to come and teach at their seminaries and Bible colleges. And Bonhoeffer, he did for a season. But then Bonhoeffer, by his own admission, just began to hate himself. And so Bonhoeffer wrote this letter. He wrote this letter to a, a German theologian, a German pastor named Rabel Nybar. 
Friends, I want you to listen to what Bonhoeffer had to say. He says, I have come to the very simple conclusion that I made a mistake in coming to America. I must live through this difficult period in our national history with the people of Germany. I will have no right to participate in the reconstruction of Christian life in Germany after the war if I do not share the trials of this time with my people. Friends, that letter goes on, and essentially Bonhoeffer says this. He says, I have ran away, but now I'm coming home to fight. Friends, Dietrich Bonhoeffer did the unthinkable. When the Nazis essentially were at the peak of their power, he smuggled himself back into Germany. He began to train up pastors and theologians and start churches. And sure enough, it cost Dietrich Bonhoeffer his life. You see, friends, when I think about what I want to be known as when I'm, when I'm old and decrepit, I want to be known as a man of faith like Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I want to be known as somebody who is like Noah. Somebody who saw how dark the world around them was and who refused to run. Like Noah, like Bonhoeffer, I want to be a preacher of repentance. And so friends, this week, that's what my hope is for you. I hope this week that if you are a follower of Jesus, you will make a commitment not to run, not to flee, but to stand up for your faith and reach this great state for Christ. That sound good? All right, would you guys pray with me? Father God, we thank you for this evening. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the example of Noah and, and of Bonhoeffer. Lord, we pray as we go about our weeks, Lord, that you would be glorified in our time together. Lord, that you would encourage us and you would equip us to reach our state for Christ. Jesus, we thank you for everything you do. We pray you be glorified in the rest of our evening tonight. We love you, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. amen.